Today, we will explore the journey to successful real estate investments. Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Hello, everyone. Today, I have a special guest, and I'm so happy to talk to Dr. Pavoli. She's a board-certified pediatric anesthesiologist, real estate investor, and real estate coach for physicians. Welcome, Dr. Pavoli. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Tatiana. I'm really excited to be on with you today. Please tell uh, listeners a little about yourself and all the amazing things you do. Yeah, so I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist, but I also got started investing about six years ago during residency. And after building our portfolio of long-term rentals, last year we made a quick pivot into short-term rentals, particularly at the time when we shifted, we started getting short-term rentals. We got up to 10 short-term rentals in a space of three months using oh. the arbitrage method, wow. which is basically where you lease property instead of buying. And then towards the end of the year, we then said to now even focus our buying our acquisitions on properties that can be used as short-term rentals. So that's sort of what we're doing now as well. Oh, wow. And can you tell us how you first became interested in real estate? What led you to be interested? So for me, I was watching TV actually one day and it was um, Flip or Flop on HGTV. And I saw Tarek and Christina take this house from looking like crap to I'm looking really good. And they're making $60,000 on that episode. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, wow. At the time, my entire annual salary was about 55000 or something like that. So I was like, wait, these guys, they just made my entire annual salary in one deal. What am I doing? And this was during residency. So I was like, whatever it is that they're doing, I need to start learning it. And that took me down like a bit of a rabbit hole. And I think about a year, year and a half later, we ended up doing our first deal, which was like a rehab deal 300 miles away down in Norfolk, Virginia. After that, we did the 12 unit apartment complex with only $900 out of pocket. So it really took me down this alternate pathway, but it also gave me something to think about outside of medicine that woke me up, if you may. How did you learn all of this? It seems like such a huge area of unknown. How did you learn to do it right? I got really passionate about it. My drives to work in Brooklyn. So I lived in Brighton Beach in Brooklyn for a residency. And I had about a 24 minute drive to work in the morning. And coming back, there was always traffic. So coming back always took about like an hour, hour, 20 minutes. And I just used that time. Like I listened to books, listened to podcasts, listened to all kinds of things. I was always on the bigger podcast forums. It literally replaced Facebook for me at the time. But I think the real, real learning, learning really came in when I actually started doing deals. There's so much you can learn from books and podcasts and all, but the actual like hard learning comes when you actually start doing. And that was when it got real. What led you to choose STRs as a way to do it? To pivot, yeah. So in the prior years, we had focused our attention on small multifamily deals. So while our first rental property was a 12 unit, we did that with partners, right? But then after a while, we're like, you know what? We kind of want to just do our own thing. So we're doing the small multifamilies. And basically, we had one pile of cash that we started with. And we used that pile of cash into multiple deals using the strategy where you like buy a property, you rehab it, you rent it out. And then you refinance. So we're able to use the cash that we had at the time across multiple deals. But as all of this was happening, I was kind of watching what was happening in the short-term rental space. 
And I had heard of arbitrage all the way back in 2016. But I was like, oh my goodness, but I'm afraid, you know, I don't want to get stuck with the lease. Just that fear held me back for four years. So in 2020, I was like, you know what, why am I so afraid of getting stuck with the lease? Meanwhile, I'm buying properties with a huge mortgage. Like this doesn't even make any sense. You're willing to take on a mortgage for $150,000 because up here in Syracuse, that's how much houses cost. And I was like, you're willing to take on a mortgage of $150,000 and you don't want to sign a lease of $900 a month? Like that makes zero sense. And so that like aha moment made me realize, no, I was putting my fear in the wrong place and I needed to do what I had learned, but had been afraid of. And so that was when I decided to actually get started. But now I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to save up to get started. And I was going to get started in May, but then it was May, 2020. So it was like, wait, that was craziness happening all over. Everybody thought everything was going to just like poof. The vacation rental market grinded to a halt. I'm like, nope, this is not the time I'm doing this. So I kind of paused a little bit. And then again, in September, 2020, I said, okay, okay, now now it's beginning to look like things are getting back to normal. Let me get started. So I actually got a unit of property here in Syracuse, New York. But at the time I was pregnant and I had actually been pulled from work for my pregnancy and it just wasn't working out. Each time that I'll try to go get furniture and stuff, I'll come back home and I'll sit down with contractions for like 10 minutes. And it was like, wait, nope, nope, nope. We're not going to put ourselves in jeopardy for some arbitrage. And so I put it on hold for a little while. And then back in March, 2021, we actually now like really went head on into it. And that was when we were now able to get all the units that we got back then. Wow. It's a lot of work. Really. And how do you choose? So see units long distance. Do you fly and see each unit or do you do it also long distance, actually? Yeah, like, like I said, the ones in Dallas, I have not seen. You have not seen at all? Wow. Till today. And we are now one year plus into it. I still haven't seen. That was why I hired the assistant early. I had somebody literally go and take pictures. Not pictures. FaceTime. Ah, so FaceTime. She shows me everywhere. I ask questions. She points out different things. And that was basically how we ended up picking places. It is so cool. It is just awesome. <laughs> wow. Just wow. I love how such a complex matter you can put in such a simple, doable way. It really is doable. Now, I recently put on a contract for a property down in Crystal Beach, Texas. Because of the experience we had with those six units when the whole thing kind of blew up, I said that, you know what? I'm going to actually be going. Okay. So I actually flew down to Houston and then Crystal Beach to go see the place. And thankfully, it looked like it did in the video. So I'd already seen it on video. This was more of a, let me just be my due diligence type thing and go. So right now, when I train my clients, I say, listen, just have it on your agenda to go. The pictures may be the pictures. The videos may be great, but there may be just a few things here and there that you may pick up by actually going, particularly if you're buying. If you're buying, for sure, you want to see them. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Do you use property management to help or do you do everything yourself? When I had long-term rentals, I did not manage. I had property managers. I did not want to deal or talk with tenants. I was a person that was like, you deal with it. I'm out, right? I'll buy a property and literally like the next thing would just be to call a property manager and say, hey, I just bought properties, take it. Now, when we started the short-term rentals, I knew that I could run it myself, but I was, you know, I was in Syracuse, New York and properties were in Dallas. Till today, I still have not seen those properties in Dallas, but I had a mentor at the time and he basically was about scaling, right? So since I knew that I plan to scale and scale up fast, 
I didn't want to break things as I was scaling. So what I did was actually hired an assistant. I didn't call her a manager. I didn't call her anything fancy. I called her my assistant. Okay. And basically the idea was that the things that I can't do from my phone, she will help me do. But I also trained her on how to like respond to guest messages, how to set up, you know, the turnover stuff for the housekeepers. So actually having her on board, I was able to basically take mental time off all of that, knowing that there was somebody taking care of that. Usually people ask me how much I paid her and stuff. I knew my goal was to scale quickly. And so initially I was going to pay her 300 as a retainer a month, plus any kind of overages. And like anytime she had to go to the property or something, I'll give her a little extra. If she had to go to the property at a certain time, like after 8 PM, like on call almost, I'll give her a little extra. But then when I ended up building our units up, I started paying her, you know, like 1K a month, just as a flat thing, plus any kind of overages, any weekend work that she had to do and stuff like that. How many units does she help to manage? So at the time she was managing 10. So after we ended up having that issue with the apartment complexes and stuff like that, we ended up thinning down our portfolio. So now I don't even need an assistant down there anymore. I basically just work with the housekeepers now in Dallas. How did you find reliable people while long distance? It's pretty hard. How did you do it? So if you really think about it, right, this is like a mindset piece. As physicians, we live a long distance life in general, right? Yeah. Because think about it. While everybody else is hanging out, you know, doing whatever they're doing during the day, you're at work, you're on call. Even if it's next door, you are like long distance because you can't get there anyway. <laughs> it's true. So it's the same thing you would do. You will call someone on the phone and be like, hey, I need this done at so-so-and-so place at so-so-and-so time. Can you do it for me? If it's next door, they'll say yes, they'll do it. If it's 300 miles away, they'll say yes, they'll do it. So it doesn't really matter where the place is. It's the same skills. It is the same techniques that you use, even if the property was next door. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's just a mental thing. You know, when you say, oh my gosh, it's like, it's in Dallas. Yes, it's in Dallas, but it's the same phone call. But how do you choose who to call? Like locally, I usually rely on friends, neighbors, colleagues, somebody knows mm -hmm. somebody. And I usually go to someone who already recommended by other people. There you go. It's the same thing. So you find one key person, right? If it's a router, for me, in my case, for my assistant, I went on a mom's Facebook group in Dallas. I joined a Dallas mom's Facebook group. And I went on there and I said, hey, I need someone to help me do X, Y, Z. And a bunch of people responded. I got on Zoom. I interviewed each one of them. It turned out that the first person I actually interviewed ended up being my assistant. But I interviewed about, I don't know, five, six, seven of them. And I picked the ones that I seemed to gel with. And when I had her, I then found other people. Now, I found them in similar ways, like our housekeepers. I used an app called Turnover BNB that you can put in for your housekeepers or whatever, and people will place bids. Similar thing. You call them, you interview them, you ask them questions. And the one that seems like it's a good play, you hire them. And if they don't work out, so here's the thing. You don't have to be right the first time. It's amazing if you're right the first time, but you need to understand that you may not be right the first time. So for our housekeepers, for example, I think one of the first few people that I hired, the very first housekeeper we got is still our housekeeper till today. But when we were scaling and I needed more housekeepers, we went through, I mean, we had this one guy that told me he had a whole team. And so I gave him a lot of work. Turned out it was only him. He was the, <laughs> <laughs> he was the team, right? So when I actually gave him the work for a team, he didn't have a team, right? So I fired him like 
stat because I couldn't, you just can't do that. But you have to be okay with the idea of being wrong. And just, you know, if you were wrong, you fix it. That's it. How about co-hosting? Can you tell us a little bit about it, what it is and what are pros and cons? Co-hosting is basically where you have another person's property and you're almost like a property manager in, in a way, but they don't use the term property manager with the short-term rentals. Basically, somebody else's property, you put it on Airbnb, you put it on VRB or whatever these agencies are, and you manage all of that for a good fee. A property manager for a regular long-term rental will probably charge like 10%, depending on where you are. A co-host for a short-term rental can charge anywhere upwards of you know, 20 to 25, even 30% of the revenue. You think about it, it's a little, a little more involving than long-term rentals because you know you get to deal with guests, you get to coordinate with housekeepers and things like that. So it's no surprise that it costs more in terms of the percentage of your revenue. So some people actually make co-hosting their entire model where they just enjoy the guest interactions and all of that and making places look pretty. And they don't have to buy a property. You don't have to furnish a property. You just, I mean, well, you probably guide the owner of the property to how to furnish it to make it work for you. But you can also pick and choose who you want to work with. Like I'm currently looking at one right now. Someone sent me a link yesterday and I look at it and ask myself, okay, do I want this property? Does this property meet my standards? Does this property look like something that I would like my guests to go to because ultimately when the reviews come in, they'll come in and they'll show under my name, like, does this fit my brand, my styling, or will I need the owner to make certain repairs before I take it on? I see. After initial setup is done and with your assistant in place, how much time you spend now per week? On existing properties. The time it takes maybe to send a code because I don't have my assistant in Dallas anymore. So everything right now is mostly automated. I only send the codes to my guests because the building that we're in right now, they have a system that requires you to physically manually send a code to each guest when they come in. And so the time it takes to put in their name and then send a code, that could take me like 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah, they may ask a question and I may respond like, oh, where's parking? And I'm like, there's free parking or there's valet parking, stuff like that. Nothing crazy. Uh-huh. I see. It's good. It's awesome. How much time do you spend on a property after it's been set up? For the short-term that we own up here in the Syracuse area, because we're still like in the first few months of setting that one up. We're fully set up, but just a few kind of tweaking things that we're doing, like our hot tub and stuff. We actually went up there last week to like get the whole hot tub chemicals and stuff tuned up to verify that what we had done before was still okay. Now that one is 30 minutes away from us. So we actually go, but if we were down in Dallas, it would have been a phone call to tell somebody to go do that. Wow, really? So little time. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to paint a picture that this is like no time. This is passive income. But like there's more mental time than physical time when you really think about it. While you're setting up, you'll be busy. But when it's actually set up and you have your automations to, you know, welcome your guests, to get them keys, to send them all these things, automations to get your cleaners in, it gets fairly hands off. And I use that word very carefully because I know someone is going to misjudge it. And then be like, oh my goodness, you told me it was passive income. Well, it's about as passive as it's not call. Okay. I have a booking. The booking gets me 33K. That is 3K that I got without taking call. What apps? 
could be helpful to make it easier to automate things and just to save you time. I'm interested in any efficiency tricks. When you come to short-term rentals, there are so many, okay? There's a whole tech stack and people are going to come at you and tell you, oh, this one worked for me, this one worked for me. In its very simple state, the one app you need is your phone, the Airbnb app, right? If you have the Airbnb app for your first property, your first unit, you're good. Now, Airbnb has automations on it. Like when I say I send my guest messages, I did it totally on the Airbnb app, right? So at its very basic step, that's all you need. Now, by the time you get to one, two, three, four, ten, there are different property management software, different channel managers. There are so many, they change by the day. We use Hostfully. Is it the best one? I don't know, but that's what I use. Some people use Owner Res. They talk about it. People say it's hard to learn. There's so many, it'll spin your head for days. We have a pricing automator. Price Labs is what I use. But I tell people like, you know what? If you focus on the tech stack prematurely, it'll get you overwhelmed. All you need, your phone, the Airbnb app to get started. And then when you're started and settled, you can start adding little things here and there. It's awesome. Thank you. Wow. So many gems, really. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at Joyful Success Living. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.